0: Welcome to Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwynn. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Speaking with chefs, artisan food makers, farmers, authors, and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious. A very good Sunday to you, food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. This is your culinary centric lifestyle show where every Sunday we obsess over what to eat and drink next. It's like having a foodie best friend to distill the culinary world into must do, must eat, and must know recommendations. If you're hungry, well, then you are in the right place because I am delivering the world of food directly to your radio every Sunday, and I hope to feed your soul with delicious conversation on food and wine, mixology, and more. I cover health, tech, trends, And you will hear the greatest thinkers on this show, from chefs to restaurateurs, to artisans and writers and authors, and to the greatest experts who will share their passion. So I hope you will continue to tune in. I'm always serving up seconds, by the way, at chefjamie.com. And if you happen to have missed a show, my podcasts featured on iTunes, FeedBurner, and Blueberry are all linked from my homepage. And then you can always find my daily dish on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen. Coming up this hour, you will hear from Mimi Kirk the amazing 78-year-old vegan vegetarian who believes that anyone can incorporate some raw food into their repertoire for the glorious health benefits. And I am truly excited to sit down and talk with Doug Abrams before the end of the hour. He was the moderator of a week-long discovery journey between the Nobel laureates, the Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu. And he shares his extraordinary story of being with those two grand gentlemen in a glorious read called The Book of Joy. You will not want to miss the conversation coming up as it is guaranteed to feed your soul. So please don't touch your dial. But first, the big game is just a few weeks away, right? and you're probably making chili, or maybe just to keep warm in winter, stews or maybe a curry are set for dinner tonight. Well, if you're just tossing dried spices into your dishes, you are missing out on a world of flavor. Now, cooking with spices sounds easy enough, but the initial conversation for this Sunday's fabulous food show is all about toasting spices, because if you toss them in for some added seasoning, you might think there's nothing more to it. Well, not exactly. Whether you're using whole spices or even ground, there is a crucial step that brings out the flavor. Since the whole point of using spices is to enhance the flavor, it's really important to know the correct way to maximize your seasoning. And to extract the natural flavors and enhance the effect on your dish, you want to heat up the spices before cooking. Now, spices are naturally aromatic, but it's heat that wakes up the aromatic oils. Now, while we're here, a note on spices. As they sit on the shelf... Whole spices and dried spices lose their pungency. So I always recommend that you buy them in small quantities, or if you're buying them in bulk, that you share them with friends. But no matter whether they're new or somewhat aging, toasting spices reawakens them and intensifies the flavor. And it's really a small trick of the trade that will... Make your dishes come alive with flavor that will make that chili better than ever for the big game. So listen here. Toasting spices is one of several ways to coax flavor out of them. You can also steep them in hot liquid. You can fry them in oil. Each one contributes something different. But the thing that's really special about toasting spices is the way that the dry heat transforms them. It draws out the aroma. It adds this, this toasty complexity that I love. Now... Toasted spices or any spices for that matter can be used to finish a curry or any other spiced dish. You can add a final layer of, of heat. You can round out the dish. You can also add toasted spices for a whole new level of flavor to baked goods or pickles. Like uh, you want to toast those mustard seeds or a dry rub is made better from toasted spices. Now, you're going to draw out the natural flavor of a toasted spice if it's already ground. And you're going to get even more extraordinary flavor if you toast whole spices and then grind them yourself. The overall taste of the dish is better. It's fresher. And mind you, pre-ground spices are great. I mean, I have a whole cabinet full of them, but if you're feeling up for it, And you want to go all out and be a culinary hero. Toast your spices, whole or ground, because it is the way to go. Now, here are the essentials. All you need is a small saute pan. And if you are going to toast whole spices and then grind them, you need some small, clean, dry jars and a spice grinder to uh, grind and then store in. Now, mind you, a spice grinder is just simply an old school little coffee grinder, 15, 20 bucks, and very worthwhile for the investment. But mind you, I keep a separate spice grinder from my coffee grinder slash breadcrumb grinder. I find that the aroma, the flavor of the spices permeates the grinder and you do need a separate appliance for it. But as I said, totally worth it. Now, if you're using whole spices, you simply toss them in a pan over medium heat and you toast them until they're fragrant and you uh, shake the pan frequently to prevent from burning. And then you grind them to a dust and you store them in the jars that I mentioned. And I say that you can keep them up to a couple of months. I like to grind for fresh flavor so I make small batches. Now, if you're using ground spices or you have a bevy of them in your pantry, know that you can toast them very easily, but that they will burn more easily as well. So let's say you're making chili. You toast the spices over low heat in a small saute pan, and then you add them to the recipe when you're ready. Or you could always bloom them even easier. Blooming is the act of heating the ground spices in oil. And so let's say you were sauteing uh, onions and garlic and olive oil until they were tender and caramelized. Rather than waiting to add the spices after all the other ingredients, add your ground dry spices to the oil with the onions and the garlic and let them bloom or toast to bring out their aroma and their flavor. I guarantee that if you give these methods a try, let's say next time you use cumin or coriander or fennel or even cinnamon, you will notice the difference. And by the way, you can toast grains like quinoa or dried couscous too, or even pasta for a whole new taste sensation. And you can find more delicious inspiration, of course, to become the best cook you know and recipes with spices galore at chefjamie.com. I hope it was a worthy culinary lesson for this Sunday. I have some food news as well. And this is good news, actually, that you can use because if you like spicy foods, well, then you are in luck. You might just live longer than those who like it mild. Eating hot chili peppers may help you live longer, a new study just published this past week, found that the consumption of hot red chili peppers specifically was associated with a 13% lower risk of death. There is a growing body of evidence that spicy food may have protective health properties that can lead to a longer life. Chilies are also said to have anti-obesity, antioxidant, anti-inflammatory, and anti-cancer Properties. So if you like it hot, once again, it's your lucky day. Experts do caution though, this doesn't mean everyone should pile on the spices at dinner to improve their health. If you have gastrointestinal issues, you should hold off on the hot sauce, of course. But for those of us that like it hot, I'm hoping that we live long and prosper. And please don't touch your dial because I am truly delighted. That the Dean of Food Television and Magazines, one of the nation's most enduring recipe writers and cooking teachers, is stopping by again. It's been too long, but Sarah Moulton will be here coming up next. And before the end of the hour, if you are crazy for coconut, well, we're sharing some Coco Loco recipes that will no doubt tempt your palate. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio with more delicious conversation right after this. Don't go away. have the best culinary thinkers on this show. Welcome back. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. She's been described as one of the nation's most enduring recipe writers and cooking teachers and a dean of food television and magazines. And oh, how I agree. With a career that has spanned 40 years of gastronomic pleasure, Sarah Moulton has delighted our palates, with recipes from her start at Good Morning America and her Food Network show hits to her 20-year tenure at Gourmet Magazine. For the past eight years, we have delighted in her PBS TV series and she's at it again. Her new cookbook release is a teaching manual to make everything taste better. I had the privilege of catching up with Sarah recently in LA, and I am so thrilled to welcome her back to the show. The book, Sarah Moulton's Home Cooking 101, is a wonderful collection of recipes, and she's here to give us a lesson in delicious dishes. Welcome back, Sarah. Hi. Well, thanks, Jamie. Yes, of course. Um, this new book was a, was a labor of love, years of love, right?
1: Well, yes. I mean, let's let's put it this way. It was a solid year to sort of get the recipes and the writing together and another year to work with the publisher on the photography and and all the details. I got much more involved with that part of it, the graphics and all that, than I did with my prior cookbooks. And I think it's because this book is so dense. I didn't want people to, you know, like open up and see all that type and just, you know, go go take a nap. (laughs) I wanted to make sure they read it. So, yeah, it was really labor. It's like, you know, I think writing a book is like giving birth. um, But I think this book was like giving birth to triplets.
0: (laughs) Which seems so very current. Um, And and the book is very current. What I loved about reading through it is that it's a really good read. And I didn't feel, no matter what your level, that there There was always something to learn. Like, it wasn't just the basics. I I read through the recipes. I looked through the photos. I had that aha epiphany moment every few pages. And for that, that's what we know and love you as Sarah Moulton for.
1: Well, that makes me really happy because that's what I was hoping. It's it's a very personal book, so Mm -hmm. it's not a traditional how-to book. It's sort of what I've decided is important as both a trained chef and also a a working mom, you know, who needs to get dinner on the table every night of the week. And how the heck do we do that? You know, when you get home at 6, it's almost impossible. But I have to say I learned a ton doing the book uh, because I did research on different topics that I felt were important uh, that I Mm -hmm. wanted to talk about anyway. Uh, So that was really fun. It was sort of a shot in the arm in terms of education.
0: And... and It's come full circle because you've paid it forward, essentially. Can we cover a few of the 10 basics of good home cooking to get us in the mood, please? Sure. Okay, good. So highlight a top few, maybe just to make dinner tonight that much more delicious. Your signature dish uh, elevated to the next level.
1: You mean what would I do? Yes, what would you ten? do?
0: Like from a basics standpoint, you talk about you know the the simplest things like building an umami or or right. Well,
1: like okay, I guess from that point of view, yeah, uh, it's all incorporated into the recipes. The the top ten things that I think are important are in the first chapter. But how it would apply to a particular recipe is balancing flavors. So you know how do you make sure that if you're incorporating. You know, chilies, how do you balance that so they don't take over? Or if there's a sour element, how do you balance that? Uh, the other thing that, of course, would be very important was is salt. Hmm. If, if anybody asked me the hands-down most important ingredient, I would say salt. And, you know, it, it, moreover, it's not just that it's an important ingredient. It's important when you add it, not that you add it. It's when you add it. And, you know, so not at the end for the most part, not when you're done of course, unless you have somebody who can't have salt, and then you're making a dish and sharing it, and they'll add theirs afterwards. But it won't have the same effect on making the dish taste tasty as it would if you added it at the beginning of the process. And then you mentioned umami, so that would be another one. What are ingredients that tend to add more flavor to a dish? So those are three things. And then there's other, you know, things like Make sure you have a really sharp, big knife. Right. Um, Make sure you get to know your stove. You know, how to organize your time so you can get groceries in the house to have dinner. Hmm. Um, And then there's more. I can never remember all 10 of them. I sort of start meandering (laughs) off. But at the time, uh, they all made sense. It was hard to limit it to 10.
0: Yeah, no, of course. And and they do all apply. They might seem basic, but they're, I think, a very necessary reminder to... uh, to balance flavors, to use all your senses, the first time... Well, to use all your
1: senses is another one, you know, that just seems so obvious. But, you know, the other day, so I write a column for the Associated Press, and uh, now I have to come up with a recipe, do the writing, all fine, but now I also have to do the photography. So it's really become a big project, and I've uh, brought in some interns, young culinary students, to work with me. And, you know, ones who are interested in learning about this whole process. And twice in the past week, I've walked past one of them putting that who, who had just put a piece of protein in a pan. And that piece of protein, in one case it was fish and another it was pork chops, was supposed to get color on it. And I heard no noise. Hmm. And so I said to each of them, I said, wait a second, where's the noise? You know the noise it's supposed to make when it hits the pan. Right. And so get it out and let's heat it up. I said it very nicely and nobody was offended, but you do use, you should and you do and you should do it more and back to the Italians, we should all use our hands. Right. And just wash your hands well before you start and don't cross contaminate, but your hands are such a wonderful tool and help you to get that much closer to the whole process and understand it better.
0: Hmm. And to use your ears and to know that when the protein hits the pan, that there is a sizzle and a sear and yes. that it, it must be there if you're going to create uh, layers and levels and compounding flavor. Those are the exactly. basics we need to be reminded of. Exactly. Yes. Do you swear by homemade stock? Can I ask you that? Not at all, because I have the
1: world's tiniest freezer. <laughs> and even though I think, you know, I now embrace the freezer when I was, you know, first a chef. I worked as a chef for seven years. Freezers were the devil, you know, oh, because that yeah. meant it wasn't fresh. No doubt. But but as I be- then I became a home cook, you know, I mean, because I, ha- I was working at Gourmet and came home at 6 and we had to have dinner. I embraced my freezer, but the trouble is now for the past, Eight years, I have the
0: world's tiniest freezer. I don't have any room for stock. So Okay, so if you came to my house, because I have the privilege of, of a lot of freezer, would you make a batch of stock and freeze it? Because I truly believe that it makes my soups and stews, and especially winter dishes, more delicious. I really do. Oh,
1: absolutely. Do. I couldn't agree more. And not only more delicious, I mean... One of my theories, you know how when you reduce a homemade chicken broth, chicken stock, because stock implies bones, when you reduce it, meaning boil it down, it turns into a very thick gel. Uh, And when you take store-bought chicken broth, which is what it's usually called, or I think even there's some that's called chicken stock that supposedly has bones in it. I don't know. I haven't actually tried the ones with chicken stock. But if you take most of the chicken broth, They're sold, you know, in boxes, including the good brands, the Mm -hmm. better brands. And if you put them in a pot and you boiled it down,
0: you you know what happens? I know because I've done it.
1: (laughs) There's nothing left in the pan. You
0: don't get anything gelatinous. Isn't that true? No,
1: because there was no bones involved. So you don't get the texture, uh, the mouthfeel that you do with a homemade stock.
0: There's something to be said for it. No doubt. Right. You can borrow freezer space anytime, Sarah.
1: Uh, <laughs> the trouble is, you live on the West Coast and I live on the East. I, I don't know. That'd be such a great idea. Too but far thank away. You.
0: Too far away. Um, yeah. What is your go-to dinner dish for the winter? Like, what will you make for dinner tonight?
1: Well, you know, my all-time favorite thing, and it's not necessarily what I'm making for dinner tonight, but my all-time favorite thing is soup. Hmm. I just love it. And, you know, the thing about soup is I rarely follow a recipe. Uh, I just, maybe it's because my first job cooking professionally was in a bar in Ann Arbor, Michigan when I was going to college. And one of the things we made was soups, and I really loved it. Uh, although we've got awful soup base, you know, that stuff that's all, oh. you know, like a paste, and then you add water to it, and the first ingredient is salt. And salty. MSG or something yeah, salty like that. and but,
0: pungent. Oh, gosh, yeah, yes.
1: Yeah, but I just love it. You know, that you. so we would build them, and I was taught how to build them and how much liquid and what vegetables and how to thicken and when you thicken and all that stuff. And now, I just love doing it. Um, I don't use homemade broth because I don't have it, but I, I use, you know, the better quality stuff you can buy in the supermarket. But I always put a lot of vegetables in, and then my idea of thickening it is to take out some of it and throw it in a blender and puree it and then put it back in. So... I don't add cream and I don't add flour and I, you know, don't add a ton of fat. I'm not against fat, but, you know, I'd rather get my calories uh, and there's some fat, but, you know, from elsewhere.
0: But that's what I like to do. Sarah, we need to take a quick break. When we come back more with the lovely and lively Sarah Moulton right after this. We're back and we're dishing with one of the nation's most enduring recipe writers and cooking teachers, Sarah Moulton, is here. And I am Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Okay, spicy miso chicken wings for the big game?
1: That would be lovely. That—that uh, That is, I have to give credit where credit is due. Those are from Hiroko Shimbo. I have 10 guest chefs in the book. Each one has one recipe. And what I did is I reached out to people who have, Specialties that I don't. And Hiroko Shimbo is a wonderful Japanese cookbook author. She's done several cookbooks. Um, she, it's also sort of fun, Jamie, you'll appreciate this because you know how short I am. She <laughs> makes me look like a hippo. She is just tiny. <laughs> and I just love her because she's a powerhouse. But yes. I anyway, mean, that is her recipe. And the reason that it's in there, besides the fact that it's a delicious recipe, is for a little bit of a tutorial on miso, which is a fantastic umami ingredient that we should all be using more of and it keeps for a very long time in the fridge and you can just you know i keep thinking oh i should just add it to more things as i'm cooking just experiment with it so that's a yummy one and yes that would be good for um super bowl and then the other one is fun uh because i've got a new way to quote unquote hard-boiled eggs in the cookbook which I think is actually caught on online, not just from me, but it's about you steam the eggs instead of boiling them, and they come out so much more tender uh, than even my old method where you didn't boil the eggs, you just brought it up to a boil, put the lid on, and took them off the burner. But that's put in a spicy sort of tomato sauce, yes, um, Indian-flavored, uh, which um, I think is yummy, and it's sort of fun. It's different because you don't think about putting hard-boiled eggs in cooked dishes. Uh, But it works very nicely in that. And that's a very satisfying dish, um, you know, that's good for vegetarians who eat eggs.
0: I was thinking breakfast or dinner. Yep, yep. There was something about with grilled bread, that dish would be delicious. I have to take a step back because you mentioned, of course, the cooking process of hard-boiled eggs in a multitude of ways. And... I would love if you would share some memories of Julia Child. You were her protege, as we all know. Um, But I have always made Julia Child hard-boiled eggs. The process that I attribute to her where you put them in the pot, bring them up to a boil, boil for a minute, turn it off, take the pot off the stove, and cover it, let it sit 14 minutes. And every time I make hard-boiled eggs, and I make them often, I think of her.
1: Exactly. It is Well, you know what's really funny about that? Is that, how I, that is how I actually met her, is huh. because of her hard-boiled egg. Uh, I was working as the chef manager of a catering operation in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and one day I was peel, peeling a million hard-boiled eggs with one of my workers, and we just cooked them the Julia Child way. And we were talk, and so I, I brought that up and said, you know, Barrett, we just did this the method we used was Julia Child's method. And she said, well, you know, actually, I'm a volunteer on Julia Child's public television show. And I said, really? So I raised my hand and said, geez, do you think she would like another volunteer? And she said, well, I don't know. Let me ask her. We're just about to tape another season. So Barrett came in the next day, and she said, you know, I talked to Julia, and she wants to hire you. And I was floored uh, because she hadn't even met me. I mean, the backstory story is that when Julia Child taped a show, her friend Rosie Minnell would come from California and do all the food styling. And Julia Child uh and and Rosie couldn't make it uh, for this next round of taping till about midway through. And Julia thought because I'd gone to the culinary institute that I must know how to food style, <laughs> which of course I did not, but what did I say? So she asked me, I, I called her up and Julia said, "Oh, dearie, I've heard so much about you, do you food style?" And I you thought said about yes. It. And I thought, "Well, you know, I I did watercolors in high school. I was <laughs> just a sous chef at this restaurant. I, I did really nice, uh, you know, I plated the food nicely. I just did cold poached, decorated salmon for 700 at this catering place. And so I thought, well, okay, I'm going to say yes. Yes. Good. And so I lied. Um, but it's all right. It it was it worked and she liked me and it started a relationship that lasted forever but it was all because of that hard boiled hard egg. Hard boiled
0: egg, see? It comes full circle every time. It does. I have very fond memories, Sarah, of having her on the radio once. And I bet she was delightful. She was extraordinary and and funny. And funny and so real yes. and so humble. And those memories are what my hard-boiled egg method conjures up. And it's heartwarming to me. So yeah. as much as I will attempt your steamed version, I don't know that I can switch over. Okay. I understand. Well, I do you. understand. Thank you. I certainly appreciate that. Um, <laughs> there is much of her in you, that well, that you. warmth and that extraordinary commitment to teaching and that very real focus and, and sharing of passion, um, that, um, there is no doubt it, it is a testament to your career and the fact that you are continuing to share what you love with all of us. Um, will you leave us with something sweet, please? Maybe your creamsicle pudding cake?
1: Yes, that is, that is a fun, uh, dessert, uh, you know, I loved that as a kid, I, you know, the, the thing with the orange sherbet on the outside and vanilla ice cream on the inside. My so. mother
0: loves a creamsicle.
1: So, no uh, doubt. It, this, what that's what this pudding cake is. It's mm. got, you know, vanilla. It's got a lot of orange, fresh orange juice in it and orange rind and also vanilla bean paste and it it just is delicious, I think.
0: Mm. Okay, I can't wait to make it. I will toast you. Um, I will be cooking from the cookbook. And watching you on PBS, of course. You can watch Sarah Moulton on PBS's Sarah's Weeknight Meals and find her new cookbook, Sarah Moulton's Home Cooking, in stores now. She is, of course, uh, the trusted host and cooking teacher and columnist and cookbook author whom we know and love for so many wonderful years. Sarah Moulton's dishes have delighted us. And she is putting dinner on the table on a weeknight just for you in home cooking, 101 embodying a lifetime of experience you can learn more and find the book at sarahmoulton.com and on amazon and bookstores nationwide and sarah i hope that we won't go so long next time but please will you come back next time you rework the hard-boiled egg recipe or (laughs) maybe i'd love to Uh, she is sarah moulton and we do have the greatest culinary thinkers on this show stay tuned there's more delicious conversation in your radio right after this Food is life create and savor yours welcome back chef Jamie Gwen in your radio the raw food movement is all a buzz in the food world a raw food diet is all about eating unprocessed and uncooked food so you get all the nutrients without any dangerous additives The movement defines raw food as food that is not heated or cooked to temperatures greater than 118 degrees, and it's based on fresh fruits and vegetables, nuts and seeds, grains and legumes. Whether you are new to a raw food diet, though, maybe you're a longtime practitioner or you're just simply looking for new and delicious recipes, Mimi Kirk We'll show you how to hit the refresh button for 2017. Her new cookbook, the follow-up to live raw is called raw vitalize. And she believes in a raw food recharge Hear This Mimi was voted the sexiest vegetarian over 50. And by the way, She is 78 years old. She is a raw vegan chef and author, and she joins us live to Dish on the Raw Movement. I'm very glad to have you, Mimi. Welcome, and Happy New Year. Thank you. Same to you, Chef Jamie. Thank you. Okay, you intrigue me. You are 78 years old, Mimi, because by the looks of the photos in the book, you're extraordinary. I always say I,
2: photo, I have good lighting.
0: <laughs> no, I don't, I don't think that's it. I think, um, I know from doing my own research, you have lived as a vegetarian, vegan for the past 40 years, right? Would you tell your story, please?
2: Well, I, I started to meditate. W- I'm a mother of four. I was widowed at 29, and I didn't really understand my life or what happened. I was in such shock, and so someone told me to start meditating. And about a year into meditation, Um, Of course, you realize when you meditate, everything is connected, everything is energy. And I was eating some roast beef on the way to work, Mm. and I thought, oh my goodness, I'm eating flesh. The connection of an animal and the food I was eating just floored me completely. I'd never thought about it before. And I'm sure my meditation made me sensitive to these
0: kinds of things.
2: And then I went home and told my kids, we're going to be vegetarians. We're not going to eat any meat, any, any animals, anything with a face, I told them.
0: Oh, and they loved that
2: they love that and, then this, and then it was like oh yeah of course of course we're fine and this was like 1970 i think it was about 1970 and um we were vegetarians i didn't understand vegan so they had cheese and i felt that was fine i had eggs. i i didn't really know it was just the animal part and then later when i savvied up a little bit i realized everything
0: again is connected to the animal, and we're harming them and so is eating the cheese and so forth. Mimi, please pause there. We'll talk more about the raw-volution in your radio right after this. We're back and we're dishing Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio with Mimi Kirk, author, vegan and vegetarian as we talk about raw vitalizing with raw foods. Mimi, take us through the raw details, Mimi, please. So what do you eat in a day? The basics of a raw food lifestyle?
2: Well, I start out with lemon and water. Then I have a nice juice. I love to juice. I prefer juicing to smoothies, although I do have smoothies sometimes, but I like the juice because I like to get as much greens as I can into a glass. And so I'll have cucumber and celery and uh, sprouts sometimes or or dark leafy greens. And I throw a lemon. I throw some ginger in. Turmeric is great. All these things are good for anti-inflammatory in your body. So I have a juice. Excuse me. Many times I'm not hungry until later in the day. And then I always try to have a big salad. But I like uh, gourmet raw foods. I'm not one who just eats you know, the seeds and nuts and, and salads and celery and sticks. I like more fancier things. I make cheeses. I make amazing raw cheeses. I make beautiful sauces on my food. I make lasagna. I make pizzas. I make Mexican food. I make anything you can think of. I have figured out how to make those taste buds by just using the right spices. Right. So I have warm soups. Now, let me just go back to say this. Raw food is raw. But you can heat it to one hundred and fifteen degrees.
0: You oh you can use a say hydrator you say one fifteen somewhere between one fifteen and one eighteen is what I know for yeah
2: that's what that's what it is, and sometimes I do a little less depending. So you can warm foods, you can even warm it on the stove top if you just make sure it's like a baby bottle, you know when you put the milk of a baby bottle on your wrist. Sure. if you just warm it a little bit, you can have warm drinks in the morning, you can warm your food. I make a zucchini pasta with a spiralizer, which is very popular today. Right. And um, my boyfriend likes it warmed a little bit. I like it just the way it is, but I mm-hmm. warm it sometimes for him. And you can put any kind of sauce on it. Mm-hmm. And I, I like to encourage people to do one thing. I, my, my main thing would be to say to people who want to get healthier or stay healthy or, or slow down the aging process is to stop eating processed food. That is the number key thing. That's filled with chemicals. They remove all the nutrients from the food, and then they put it back in fortified vitamins on cereal boxes, for instance. They remove everything out when they cook the food and overcook it. It's all processed. So you're not getting the vitamins you think you are when you eat it. However, if you do cook a vegetable at home and you cook it lightly, you're, you're more than likely getting the vegetables because you're not putting it through the same process. So giving up the up food is number one, and including a green drink every day, a green juice. If someone just started with that, that would make them want to go further because they could see how much better they felt.
0: I think that's very doable. I'll tell you that. And you know, as a professional chef... I, you know, I do sit down um, to great meals often, in fact, but I do start my morning with a green drink or I'll commit to a a vegetarian day. That's a meatless Monday to me. And I do feel good. I do notice the difference. And I think those small changes, whether you go full force or you commit to healthy changes, especially at the start of the year, not only does it revitalize your body, but I I think it revitalizes your soul. It gives you direction. It gives you focus. It allows you to feel good about what it is you're putting in your body. Can you teach us, before I let you go, to make cashew ranch, please? Because the recipes in the book are intriguing. I'm going to make your uh, creamy Thai soup. It's very similar to a, a tomkakai that I make with the coconut milk, and oh, it looks beautiful. Um, and I love this idea of just small changes. So cashew ranch dressing, I'm in, Mimi.
2: <laughs> uh, yes, and, and the spiralized sweet potato, the dressing on that, everybody, I have a, um, along with the raw vitalized book, we started a raw vitalized book club on Facebook. And everybody has been receiving their books and posting photos, and they are blown away by how good this food is and how fast the food mm. is. I am so, I feel so rewarded now that in the last few weeks, since people have been receiving their books, that they have been posting the photos and talking about the food. And they say, I don't even want to make a different breakfast. I want to eat this one every day for the rest of my life. Mm. That's how good the food is, and that's how fast it is. They're hearty, they're delicious, they're beautiful to look at, and everybody has to find. Uh, we have a, a complete meal plan in the book, but some people are going out of order because they see a dish they like. I'm going to make that. Well, that's totally fine. This is life. Right. You have to do what works for you. So the book has great recipes, whether you follow it for the 21 days or you just take the recipes and incorporate it into the life you have today. That's what I think is making change in the world. Just I making small you. changes yes. really add up to a big, a healthy body. And, and honestly, I think because I, I like to tell my age because I'm in no prescription medicine, my family's health history is, sucks. It's not great. <laughs> They've had everything, cancer, diabetes, all of it. Sure. I don't have it, and it's not because it's the genes. Good it's because you. I've chosen a healthy lifestyle. I so agree I can with tell that. people right now you can you can cure yourself and you can change your your, your your what you think is your genetic disposition if you really put your mind to it. It mm-hmm. works. It worked for me.
0: You can catch the wave of good health and good living with Mimi Kirk's new great read full of raw food recipes. Learn more about Raw Vitalize at youngonrawfood.com. Mimi, continued good health and success to you. Thank you again for inspiring us. Thank you so much. It was such a sp- pleasure speaking with you. And so that brings us to the end of another hour of inspiring ideas, wisdom, and and culinary conversation. I hope you'll tune in every Sunday where there is more fabulous food in your radio. And I will leave you with my last bite for the hour. I have a comfort food indulgence with very little guilt this week. My three-ingredient stuffed sweet potatoes, oh, they are a hit in our house. Shredded chicken, even pork, combined with your favorite barbecue sauce and stuffed into a hearty, fluffy, scrumptious sweet potato of goodness. They are so delicious and super easy. If you have a rotisserie chicken or leftover protein lying around, this is my three-ingredient stuffed sweet potato. You'll take two medium sweet potatoes, cut them in half or you can roast them whole. I like high heat, 425 degrees until they're tender. The halves take only a half an hour. And then you'll take a saucepan and you'll stir together, let's say leftover chicken, shredded or even pulled pork with some of your favorite barbecue sauce until it's warm. Then you top each sweet potato half with scoopfuls of the barbecue chicken. And I like to top with some sliced green onions as well and then just dig in. It is a delicious three-ingredient meal, and I will post the recipe on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen. I will meet you here next Sunday as well when there is more delicious conversation in your radio. I thank you for listening. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen signing off, and I hope you continue to eat well.